Welcome to the Emmanuel Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. The Emmanuel Network exists to help pastors plant and cultivate healthy churches for a global harvest. Our aim with this podcast is to help our Emmanuel Network partners by having conversations that equip them for faithful gospel ministry. I hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Emmanuel Network Podcast. My name is Ryan Fullerton, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And my name is Johnny Atkinson. I'm the communications director of the Emmanuel Network. And Andy Morris today gets the very special privilege of not introducing himself. He does not get an introduction because he was on the last episode. He's well known to so many of you. So Andy, as a term of endearment, we deny you an introduction uh, today. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. But we're glad you're here. <laughs> but we're glad you're here. We're very glad you're here. <laughs> Hope to see more of you. Um, we are in the middle of a podcast series we're calling Sending Well. And this has been a burden of ours for many, many years to make sure that when we send missionaries out, they're sent in a manner worthy of God, as we looked at in Third John. And a huge component of that, obviously, is making sure we're sending the right people, qualified people. Uh, that making sure that we're providing ample uh, financial and emotional theological support. And one thing that might be uh, neglected, it might be overlooked, is making sure that we're sending people with an awareness of what they're going to encounter, what they're going to see overseas. And I don't just mean in terms of the uh, new culture they'll be coming into, but in terms of the existing missions movement, they will be encountering. You can send people to the least reached people on the planet, and they will still have ample contact with other missionaries and be being brought into an existing work and have pressures placed on them uh, to really uh, think through a missions through a particular methodology. And so we want to equip pastors and missionaries um, in this podcast to think about uh, how to help their, their future missionaries be aware and how to process what they're seeing and experiencing in terms of different methodologies on the field. And particularly, we want to, view, we want to look at what are often called CPMs and DMM. And uh, Johnny, would you help us out in the def definition category? What, what are we talking about when we talk about we want to make people aware of what they're going to experience and particularly we're focused on what kind of movements or what kind of methodologies they're going to experience. So what are we talking about when we talk about CPM and DMM? Yeah, so CPM was popularized by David Garrison, obviously within the IMB a number of years ago. It largely kind of an umbrella term today for anything that focuses on this rapid multiplication of churches within the indigenous context, which again, who doesn't want that, right? Amen. Uh, we, we all want to strive after that and, and work towards that. But with that, there, there are certain methodologies that, that we'll get into here that, that don't always square up with the faithfulness that scripture teaches us to live by. More recent, though, is DMM, which was popularized by the Watsons in their book, and others have written on it. It stands for Disciple Making Movements, and I believe it's in their book where I read 
the reason they shifted, and, and you can kind of see the organic growth out of CPMs and into DMMs, is that they were acknowledging that uh, in Scripture, Christ says he will build his church, not us. But it does say we're to go into the world and make disciples. So we want to move away from church planting movements because that's only what the Lord can do. And we want to focus on disciple making movements. So notice the word movements is in both of them. What they're getting at with this movements is they want to start rapid multiplication of, of groups that are multiplying and spreading throughout a people group, uh, an indigenous culture that, that share language and, and, yeah, culture that can cause the gospel to spread rapidly throughout it. So a couple of the characteristics, and again, just based on those definitions, who doesn't want that? We're sitting here trying to send missionaries to the field. We want the nation's reach. Yeah. We want them to hear of Christ. And if it goes fast, praise the Lord for that. A couple of other things to highlight with these methods. They seem to love acronyms. So OBD. Oh, come on. The whole missions world loves acronyms. <laughs> UPGs, UUPGs. This is true. Uh, but o- OBD is obedience-based discipleship. There's a very helpful book, especially if you're going into a Muslim context. I believe it's by Don Little. Uh, and he talks about discipling Muslims, and he takes head-on this issue of DMMs and really critiques it from a biblical point of view. He's very balanced, so it's a very helpful resource. But obedience-based discipleship basically says we no longer need to evangelize. I don't know if anybody actually has said it as starkly as that, but practically that's what it becomes. There's no sharing the gospel. There's let's just share the commands of Christ. That's what Matthew 28 said, didn't it? You know, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. So we'll just teach them what Jesus told them to do. And those that start obeying, they're getting discipled through obedience. The more they obey, the more they're being discipled, particularly as you're talking to these indigenous people and you're telling them the commands of Christ. If you find one who's just really soft to these things, really eager to obey, Usually that person will get identified and given the technical label of the person, person of peace. peace. Yeah, I think it's Luke 11. Yeah. Which again, that's where Jesus talks about. He sends his disciples out. He tells them to go into cities and to look for these people of peace that, that would allow them a place to stay for the night as they're ministering in that town. But this person of peace really takes on a technical term here and, and they, they find this figure to be receptive to the things that they're teaching. They often make him then the leader of, of one of these groups. Again, they're groups at this point because only Christ can build the church. But as the group starts to grow and this, this obedience-based discipleship is a really key component of it, you need to then tell somebody else what you've been told. So you'll get together for a group, you'll hear a story from the Word, and then you're commanded Afterwards, you need to not only go do something this week. What did you hear from the story? Maybe it's confess your sin. Maybe it's no longer lie. Maybe it's, you know, one of these acts of obedience. But you're also to go find somebody who's not in the group and tell that story to them. And so as you send out 10 people to go tell the story, maybe they'll have 10 more receptive people. Maybe they'll have 20 more receptive people. Maybe they'll find three other persons of peace. And as you start to do this, now you start to see the multiplication effect of these movements as you have people gathered together. And again, that all sounds good, and I think we can actually, you know, maybe take the weed and throw away the chaff when we look at some of these things, but there are a number of weaknesses. And yeah, within my own context and and gauging the missions world, there was a story I heard where an individual was bragging to me that he had got some of his groups to multiply to the fourth generation. So that's one group, meet another group, meet another group, meet another group. 
And he said, the leader of the first group is not even a Christian yet. And he was telling me this as a, as a wonderful wah, thing. Wah. And so, yeah, Andy, maybe... Okay, maybe wait, 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 I want to review before you go to Andy, because <laughs> Andy's got great stuff. Let me just make sure, okay, I'm an average pastor. I've, I'm not serving overseas. So essentially what these movements, what these movements have, CPM and DMM have in common, is there's, there's a need for speed. They, they want a, a rapid spread of the gospel. In the church planting movement, uh, you're still eventually hoping to see elders, deacons, an established church set up, but you want it to go fast. And that leads, at least in my experience, not my hands-on experience, but what I've heard and talked to others who've come back off the field is, now you're appointing elders who are barely in the faith. You're, 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 you're putting people in leadership before they could maybe obey a command like, be able to teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So you're putting people in leadership quickly. So you're you're building that church, but you're building it so fast that it's like, say, an F-150 that ran through the assembly line at double speed, and it winds up being a lemon. It winds up, uh, you know, having all kinds of problems. DMM, now we're actually not actually even aiming at the church directly. Christ will get to that eventually in his own time, but we're just going to make disciples. And what we mean by disciple is someone who obeyed the last story, not necessarily someone who's been regenerate, converted, repented, believed. Romans chapter 6, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, which they've been taught. I noticed, so I noticed there, there's a downgrade in the church level of things just more individualistic, more discipleship-oriented, and there's a downgrade from doctrine to just do, which has all kinds of potential for legalistic heresies, it would mm-hmm. seem to me. But but anyway, so that am I, am I starting to get a feel for what we're talking about here? Yep, yeah, okay. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the, the lack of focus on regeneration and that distinction between believer, unbeliever, even though the time is a mystery to us, and even though Jesus talks about some are near the kingdom, right? So there right. is a mystery in that binary, are you a believer or not a believer? Um, but there just seems to be the dying plane, if not the complete ignoring of it, in, in, at least in, in the handbooks of these and even to some practitioners that I've spoken to. Okay, Andy, Johnny and I are armchair quarterbacks, but you are an offensive lineman who's been on the front lines, you've been on the field doing this, and, uh, and uh, you, you've been in the middle of this and really spent – the bulk of your ministry overseas rubbing shoulders with those influenced by this teaching. Johnny, you mentioned it, that it emerged in the IMB, at least in terms of CMM. But of course, it would be prevalent within pioneers, within frontiers, within really yeah. within the yeah. whole missions world. These are really prevalent, yeah. if not dominant thoughts. Andy, share with us more anecdotally what you've seen and what, what you are aware of just from your own experience yeah. in Southeast yeah. Asia. So... So I think like, yeah, these things have emerged in, in the last generation, really like in the last 30 years. And at this point, they are so prevalent that they are almost not even questioned mm-hmm. uh, among, I would say, the majority of, of missionaries and mission agencies. And it has even begun to make its way even into America. And people are beginning to see such trainings of this type of methodology uh, even here in the States through associational trainings or, or other trainings. So I think that, you know, you guys have done a good job of, of setting it up 
I think that a lot of people are involved in in movement methodology that really have good intentions. They want to see people come to faith. They want to see churches planted, but they really don't have a clear aim of of what they're actually after. And uh, most missionaries, uh, sadly, are not coming out of a church context where they've been deeply equipped to be able to know exactly what are they aiming at. And what are they wanting to see uh, in in seeing a church planted? And unfortunately, unfortunately, the way that that we, the three of us, and many of you who are listening, would think about what does it take to plant a church, uh, movement methodology would say is that the way that we would go about planting a church methodically, getting behind a godly a godly man who is well equipped and is then like moving at the pace of wisdom many in many in the movement methodology camp would say that that is too slow they would say that that missionaries that are coming with that sort of bent uh, wanting to move slow with depth with maturity uh, are actually a part of the problem and and are getting in the way of seeing this rapid expansion work. And so and so there really is two different camps that often that often have great friction between themselves. But we must all submit ourselves to God's word. We must all come humbly underneath his word and follow his word. You know, sadly, as I mentioned on the podcast last time, many missionaries are going overseas and don't have a strong commitment to a local church. And so, and so this sort of methodology that says, well, you don't have to be committed to a local church. You just need to be obedient to share, obedient to reach out, trying to find individuals who will then, who will then be in these groups. And we're all for evangelistic groups. We want to see people come to faith. But, but, then, but then turning those groups and saying, okay, now those who maybe even have come to faith, you go out and, and do another one, really, in my opinion, is not moving at the pace of maturity and has often, has often led many people down a path of, of legalism. Because the method, as you said, Johnny, it is built on obedience. So you're looking for people who will do what you want them to do. And so those, those who follow and, and who do it, and maybe even out of, out of a right motivation, they're wanting to follow and share, and yet there are many others who, who don't want to do it. And maybe they've come to faith also, and so... They get jettisoned in the process, and you end up with people that have this legalistic bent who are willing to essentially be yes men and yes women to what you're wanting. They become the champions. And so, sadly, sadly, because there is such a push to see numbers and such a push to see rapidity multiply that you end up with gargantuan stories of of hundreds of people coming to faith and I even I even recently was able to interact with a guy I knew who was who was very deep in one of these movements and he was the 
in many ways like the leader and instigator. And I said, I said, you know, after all these years have gone by, how many of those of those churches in uh, and I'm air quoting how many of those churches still exist today who you who you had once reported that there were many hundreds and and I said how many of them are still in existence today he said two there are two and at that time like there was reported to be thousands of people who had come to Christ even to the point where where like those who lived around like were expecting that like man this is this is something that's going to overflow even into other people groups and yet it never did because it was it was a bit of a phantom and that that is that is sadly often the case i've seen people who have been deeply involved in in uh, dmm or cpm type of methodologies and these national believers break off and become almost uh, their own sex. So they'll they'll break off and form and form their own groups. And so these controlling, powerful leaders are actually rewarded in these systems of of leading leading a group and leading groups of people in these spiritual groups to the point that some of them actually realize the power that they have, and then they'll break off and they'll form their own their own camp and their own teachings. As I listen to this, I can't help but be reminded of the great Hudson Taylor quote that God's work is to be done in God's way. Mm-hmm. And just a few things that trigger my mind as I'm listening to you define this, Johnny, and then you describe it, Andy, are, are one, first of all, we need to recognize that although God has saved 3,000 a day, has saved 5,000 a day, and we wanted to do it more. Even when that happens, the first thing they're doing is numbering them. We actually know how many were saved. Uh, they're baptizing them. And then they're gathering for communal practices, which will eventually grow up into the practices of the church in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And so there's there's a sense in which um, we're really, we're really um, missing the fact that the early church did even when they saw things move quickly, which they didn't always see. There's Nicodemus who seems to have had multiple encounters with Jesus, you know, prior to a possible conversion. Um, even when things moved quickly, there's an immediate bottling of that work, if you will. And then that brings me to the second thing I'm noticing, and that's a a um, a separation from God's means and God's goals. So. He will build his church. So just put that in his hands, except Paul calls us co-workers with God. We're co-laborers with God, and and Paul calls himself a wise master builder. And so there really is a sense in which, although it certainly can be the case that sometimes God will save a 1,000, save 2,000 at a time, and we pray for more of that, there are appointed means whereby those people are not dragged off into heresy. I know I live under the command, and we all live under the command, that if we watch our life and our doctrine carefully, we will save both ourselves and our hearers. So there has to be an elder, a qualified elder, placed in place as soon as possible, not too quick, but not too slow, who will do just that. And so these, these, these good goals, untethered from God's ways, Mm-hmm. actually wind up shooting themselves in the foot and then down the ears have, having very little fruit. Right. Yeah. And and actually, actually uh, some would argue, actually work against the health of the church 
uh, by creating sex, yeah. by creating just errant, errant belief, uh, seeing, seeing people that are untethered from the church doing what is right in their own eyes in many ways. Is there even a corrective here for the church? I'm just thinking, I wonder how much, I wonder what's driving the numbers and surely a part of it has to be for fundraising. And I'm just wondering if there's not even a word for the church that as we're sending people out, please share the gospel with hundreds of people. Please host lots of evangelistic Bible studies. And if there's no fruit, keep being faithful. You know, to give. The, keep being faithful to give and yeah. keep being faithful in your labors. Yeah. You know, yeah. because the yeah. Lord will bring the fruit in his time. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I think another thing that Ryan was just touching on that people need to understand what is a church and and what are the elements of the church mm-hmm. uh, and movement methodology would would put a big highlight on on evangelism is an element of the church we would all say that's true like we can see that in acts 2 mm-hmm. uh, you know and that the lord was adding their number day by day mm-hmm. that's because so many people were sharing the gospel that was wonderful but they were also listening to the word of god gathering for prayer, they were gathering for fellowship uh, from house to house. Mm-hmm. So there are these other elements that are somewhat, if not wholly, yeah, they're disregarded. They're just not given the weight that they are given in the scriptures. And because of that, you end up with forming these groups that are sort of like if you had a person with, a, with an overdeveloped arm. So, so a person has an overdeveloped arm, and that arm is like their their evangelism. So, mm-hmm. if you if you thought of this this little church as as uh, this person, then they had an overdeveloped arm in evangelism, but then the rest of their body was just shriveled, mm-hmm. and that's what these groups look like. They are they are arguably have some health, one element of health, but then they have all these other elements that have been largely gutted. And then it's proposed as, well, that's okay because the Spirit's going to take care of them. We, we, fully, we fully value the work of the Spirit and know that the Spirit is going to work, but according to God's Word yeah, and in accordance with His Word. One of my most maddening uh, experiences in evangelism or in discipleship and church planting, Andy, you were there when this happened, was listening to a seasoned missionary in Southeast Asia debate whether or not they should tell some new converts to be baptized. And and the debate was, well, should we tell them because, you know, we want to wait for the Holy Spirit to tell them. And of course, just it, it represents such a radical divorce from the Spirit's word and the Spirit's work. And the answer, of course, to his dilemma was open your Bible and tell them to get baptized because that's the Spirit at work. And but when that when that divorce happens, then that atrophied body is going to happen. You're going to have people who have one set of focuses, the one things they were taught by the Spirit, ironically, but then all the other things the Spirit would give them to sustain their life are withheld them, and they wound up uh, being atrophied. Uh, Andy, uh, what is the most helpful way to work together uh, within brothers with brothers and sisters employing different and at times unhelpful methodology? I know some of that will include not working together, but you're in the same context, you're in the same city. Yeah. Often in some of these situations, uh, uh, not that this is only a Western issue, but all the Westerners are getting together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, you're you're, yeah. you're living arm in arm with these folks, even if you aren't sharing the same ministry. Right? How do you how do you navigate those those issues? 
I think it's important to love people well. I think it's important to understand that that these are also brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that Christ died for them also, that we'll be in heaven together, and that Christ has begun a work in them, that he's continuing on to this day. And so I think we should be ones who are hopeful. We should be ones who are living according to the scriptures and highlighting the role of the scriptures over and above our own thoughts. And we've all, we've all known godly men and women. We've all heard them speak. And when you're, when you're among a group of people and you are a proponent of God's word, you're living according to his word, you're loving people well, even though they disagree with you, they still hear you. And they respect you. And I think that's the way that you must, you must approach it and then calling people to God's word calling people to examine what they're doing versus God's word. So you're, what you're laying out, I think, is really helpful in those situations where maybe you wind up in an organization where these folks are prevalent and you're going to have to navigate those relationships or in a city where these folks are friends. Yeah. Do you think there's also wisdom and at times there's going to have to be Paul and Barnabas moments where you really decide that in order to not make the work, you're part of a mixed work and a work that's going in two different directions, that you really make sure that you've separated yourself from them in terms of the work. Yes, yes. And that's something that definitely happened in my years overseas of, you know, even our families could still be friends. We could hang out. The kids could have a good time together. We could, you know, have American Thanksgiving together. But when it comes down to... Are we going to attempt to plant a church together? No, we're not. Mm-hmm. And and we've actually had that conversation. We understand where each other are, and we know the differences that are there. And that doesn't mean that, that I would think of myself as better than that person. I would still call them to see what we're doing. But But there is a level of trust at which you must move forward in maturity. And maybe I can make a comment on the, the sending pastor end of things that would maybe echo that. One, I would say to just my, my fellow pastors who are sending, you want to help your people pick agencies where they're going to have that kind of like-mindedness, where, where they might wind up with folks in the same town who disagree with them. But as much as possible, the folks that they're actually partnered with are on the same page. Now, I'm just going to be very blunt. In the IMB, you get everything under the sun in terms of methodology. I know that CPM and DMM are not officially embraced by the IMB. Praise God for that. But those things can happen overseas. And, and I, would, I would say to pastors, you need to help your uh, missionaries choose the right region, uh, choose the right leader, especially, I would say, when you're sending single women over who are going to wind up under someone else's leadership We've tried to take special care to make sure we're not sending someone to submit to something unbiblical. And so I think that means really knowing where you're sending people. Who are they going to be working alongside? What are, how are they going to be called to partner? Because honestly, we've had folks, and Andy, I know you've experienced some of this, and I'm stating this in a human way, because we know nothing's wasted in the sovereignty of God, but at the end of a term uh, or a two-year term or a four-year term, there can be a sense of, was that wasted? Was, was, that, was that good work? 
that was done or was I spinning my wheels in, I remember Andy, you preached a sermon I'll never forget here at Emmanuel, probably, um, oh boy, you may have preached this 18 years ago or something, uh, but just coming back off the field and preaching on the traditions of men versus the commandments of God and feeling that the missionary methodology that you'd been called into really wound up being the traditions of men and longing to go back overseas and to practice the commandments of God. And I, I loved you for that sermon then. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, I wanted to say to my fellow pastors, you don't want to send your people into situations where they spend years of their lives while they're in culture shock, while they're learning a new language, Mm -hmm. also figuring out who they can partner with and whether or not the people they're with are even committed to faithful work. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the hugest thing we can do beyond vetting that the individual is prepared either as an elder qualified candidate or a teammate. Mm -hmm is matching them with an elder qualified leader. And that takes work, that takes diligence, that takes phone calls and helping the the candidate to ask good questions as well as possibly you even talking directly to that team leader or that organization. And that is that is an extra step that is needed by churches. I remember one of our missionaries coming back and said, you know, I used to have a certain set of questions I used to vet the missionaries I would work with. I now have one question. What keeps you up at night? And if, if what keeps the person up at night is how do I reach millions? He probably doesn't want to work with them even though we both want to reach millions, but they're basically answering, how do I reach millions? What ideas can I come up with versus the person who's staying up at night going, Lord, will you give me godly pastors? Lord, will you shape a biblical church? Lord, will you help me to be faithful in evangelism? The person who's being kept up by a preoccupation with faithfulness is going to be a far more fruitful partner long term. Johnny, anything you want to close us off with? Yeah, one other thing I want to circle back to is I think, you know, I said at the beginning that DMM kind of came out of CPM in saying that, well, you know, Christ will build the church, but we can make disciples. I think to circle back to that, if we're talking about we can cause someone to be born again, ultimately we can't. So we're right back to where we were with the church. We can't. It's the Lord will establish a church and the Lord will save people. But how does he do it? He uses means and primarily he uses faithful people mm-hmm. who live in obe- who are filled with the Spirit and who obey his word. Mm-hmm. And so having that distinction between you know, what we can do and what the Lord will do. I often think of Romans 10 in this regard. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the Lord will save them, but how will they hear unless someone goes? So we need to be sending hundreds of thousands. I mean, do we want movements? Do we want to see millions saved? Nobody here is saying we don't. It's drawing the line between what will the Lord do? Mm-hmm. That's his prerogative if he saves 5,000 in a day or if he saves five in your lifetime. And what can we do? We can and ought to be striving to do more, sharing more with our faith and having more evangelistic Bible studies and, and these things. And, and one other thing, just as I've been listening to you guys talk, that, that's coming to my mind is these methods also seem to be happy to multiply immaturity. Mm-hmm. There's not, there doesn't at least appear to be this desire to do the slow work that is usually required to get to maturity. Yeah. If, again, if the Lord were to do it fast, praise the Lord. If the Lord were to cause someone who's been saved for five minutes to be elder qualified, praise the Lord. I don't think any of us have either seen that, though, in our lifetime. And so the, the, the way that the Lord seems to work 
is that these things take time. These things work through the means that he's appointed, which are supernatural, but do take time. And so not undervaluing the slow and faithful work that it requires to get to maturity. And one word that just pops into my mind as you share all this, Johnny, is and as you share these illustrations, Andy, is, is fruit. Mm-hmm. You can't rush fruit. Mm-hmm. Fruit needs all, it needs time on the vine in order to grow, in order to be sweet. And in fact, many fruit trees don't bear fruit the first year. We've always kept peach trees and you're not going to get good peach trees till year three. And I'm not making a timeline or anything like that. It's just a simple illustration. that If our goal is spiritual fruit, then we have something deep to learn from the agricultural world. Mm-hmm. And that there, there is no just rushing fruit to the, from farm to table. You've got to let it grow on the vine and then in due time it will be sweet. Right. Well, Andy, thank you so much. You want to share one last thing before we before we uh, close? Just uh, like we've said it before, but we have to teach all that Christ has commanded, yeah. just like He told us in the Great yeah. Commission. Yeah. And as people go, we just have to be ones that are conformed to the pattern of Scripture. And I know that many people that are caught up in movement methodology would say they're following the pattern of Scripture, but but they're but if you look at it deeper. Mm-hmm. then you'll see that you're only you're only catching a slice of it yeah. and there is that depth that you brothers are talking about that's required that's good okay well we're delighted to be with you this has been a great joy we can't wait till next time and until next time i'm ryan i'm johnny god bless